Today, we're introducing a new podcast series entitled, Squeezing All the Juice Out of Retirement. Hi, I'm Riley Moynes, author of The Four Phases of Retirement. It's subtitled, What to Expect When You're Retiring. During today's show, I'm first going to share with you the background that led me to research and write this book. Then I'm going to give you an overview of each of the four phases. If you're not yet retired, it'll give you a heads up as to what to expect when that time comes. If you are retired, our time together will help you make sense of the changes and challenges that retirement almost inevitably brings. At the end of this podcast, you'll know what the four phases of retirement are, and if you're retired, you'll also be able to tell which phase you're in currently. Subsequent podcasts will feature interviews with Phase 4 retirees who are squeezing all the juice out of their retirement. But let me begin with a story. I'm lucky enough to be able to spend some time in Florida each winter. We're in a golf community, but there's a lot more going on than just golf. I'm part of a walking group that meets three mornings a week at 7 a.m. Our primary purpose is to put 10,000 steps on our Fitbits. Our secondary purpose is to discuss topics of interest as we walk, and, and then we go to Panera's for coffee and we eat cinnamon buns. We discuss a variety of topics, including sports and books and movies, and sometimes even politics. More recently, we've asked one of the members of the group to choose a topic for discussion on our next walk. A while ago, the topic chosen was this. What are the ingredients that produce a successful retirement? How's that for 7 o'clock in the morning? So we walked and talked and kicked the topic around for an hour, and then we moved on to the next topic when we met again. But it was a topic that stuck with me. I was retired at the time and, frankly, was having some challenges with it. I was active and busy much of the time, but I felt like I was kind of spinning my wheels. I didn't really feel like I was doing much that was of value or even very meaningful to me. Certainly, playing golf more often wasn't the answer. And I was doing as much travel as I wanted, yet I felt like something was missing, and I couldn't put my finger on what it was. So I decided to dig deeper into the topic about what makes a successful retirement. Now, my background is in research, so I did what I always do when I want to learn something. I reviewed the research on the topic, expecting to find a ton of pertinent, helpful information but I found virtually nothing. Sure, there was lots written about the important investment, tax, insurance, and estate considerations related to retirement, the nuts and bolts issues, but when it came to the question of what constitutes a successful retirement and how to deal with the inevitable changes and challenges that accompanied it, the softer issues, it was a different story. So I decided to interview as many people as I could who had retired over the last few years in an effort to get a first-hand perspective on the question. I interviewed dozens of them and simply asked the question, what are the elements that produce a successful retirement? The interviews took the better part of two years to complete. I asked the question, they spoke, and I listened. To the wide range of emotions and stories that they shared, Stories of deep depression and the heights of joy, struggles, achievements, successes, and sorrows. 
I then looked for the patterns present in so much data and then finally organized and wrote the material in a way that I hoped would be interesting and helpful to other retirees. Within a year of publication, The Four Phases of Retirement has become a Canadian bestseller and continues to grow in popularity. It's available on Amazon.ca as well as our website, thefourphases.com, and I hope you might consider ordering a copy for yourself or a friend who is nearing or in retirement. Much of the interest in the book has come from people who help others prepare for retirement. Financial advisors, accountants, lawyers, insurance advisors, and corporate HR personnel. They recognize that the topic is very important, but they generally don't deal with it in their interactions with clients. It's kind of like the elephant in the room. It's there, but no one's talking about it. So they buy the book in bulk and distribute it to their clients in an effort to help them deal with the changes and psychological challenges that almost inevitably accompany retirement. They also often invite me to present my four phases of retirement workshop to their clients, so I'm on the road quite a lot. Now, just before we examine the four phases of retirement in some detail, let's take a moment to put today's retirees in context. First of all, most of them are part of that huge demographic born between 1946 and 1965 that we call baby boomers. Today, 10,000 North Americans will retire. Another 10,000 will retire tomorrow, and the next day, and the day after that, and so on for the next 10 to 15 years. It's a virtual retirement landslide, a tsunami. At the same time, people are generally living longer than ever before in human history, and so it's quite likely that many baby boomers will live into their 90s, and spend up to one-third of their lives in retirement. Think about that. One-third of their lives in retirement. So 10,000 North Americans are retiring every day, and most of them don't have a clue about what to expect, about the very significant changes and challenges that they are very likely to face. That's why, in my opinion, the information contained in this book is so very important. For those not yet retired, it provides a heads-up as to what to expect. For those who are retired, it'll help them by providing a context where the changes and challenges will make more sense. Finally, before we examine each of the four phases, let me say that we're assuming in this discussion that your finances are relatively stable and that you are in reasonably good health. I understand completely that retirement can look very different if this is not the case. So we're ready now to examine the four phases of retirement. Phase one is what I call the vacation phase. You know that you're in phase one when you you feel a sense of relief and exhilaration and accomplishment about your just-completed working career. You appreciate having no set routine for the moment, You're regularly making plans to travel. You're serious about improving your golf game, your tennis game, or your pickleball game. You think about a trophy purchase like a sports car or a a sailboat or perhaps a warm weather vacation property. 
You look forward to spending more time with your spouse and with friends and family. You look forward to just puttering around at your own pace and doing what you want, when you want, where you want, and with whom you want. Because for many people, that's the definition of an ideal retirement. And that's almost exactly the way I spent my first couple of years of retirement. But as vacations must come to an end sooner or later, so does phase one, the vacation phase. And as the end of a vacation means a return to real life, so the end of phase one brings retirees face to face with a stark new reality. The reality that life as we knew it for decades simply no longer exists. This realization has been described in many ways, but the one with the most impact for me described the transition from phase one to phase two as a plunge into the abyss of insignificance. Think about it for a moment, though. Most retirees, whether they be teachers, doctors, dentists, lawyers, accountants, sales professionals, middle managers, office or factory workers, they all work for several decades. Over that time, they achieve a level of success, responsibility, and often prestige. They may have staff reporting to them. They may be involved in making corporate or professional business decisions and have reached a level where they're seen as kind of go-to individuals, people who get things done or can exert influence to get things done. But then one day, whether by choice or circumstance, they retire, and they're out. Their power and influence evaporate, and as they walk out the door for the last time, much of the air is taken out of their balloon. Now, this plunge into the abyss of insignificance, or as others have described it, the drop from the top, is one of the top 10 traumas most people face in their entire lives. As we enter phase two, all of our routines, our self-image, our power, prestige, and our purpose seem to come under attack. You'll know you're in phase two when you experience the five unavoidable losses. First, there's a loss of structure. You frankly miss your old routine. Second, a loss of identity. Many of us identify with our jobs, and when that job is gone, so is our sense of identity. Third, a loss of relationships. You're no longer a member of the team, and you miss the camaraderie. Fourth, there's a loss of purpose. There's really nothing that makes you look forward to getting up in the morning. And finally, a loss of power. You're no longer the leader, the boss, the rainmaker. You're just a guy or a gal on the street. As well, according to the world-famous Mayo Clinic, when you retire, there is a 40% chance that you will experience one or more symptoms associated with clinical depression. So the blows we suffer in phase two can make us feel like we've been hit by a bus. We feel dazed and confused, we can't make sense of what's happening. We lack a framework within which to make sense of it all. Now, at this point, many people, my, myself included, begin to ask ourselves, well, what can I do that will make me feel like I can still contribute? I, I've still got a whole lot in me, and I, I want to do things that are meaningful for me. How do I do it? When we start to ask ourselves these questions, when we begin to search for new meaning and purpose in our lives, we've turned an important corner. 
When we do this, we're entering phase three, the trial and error phase, and we're on the road to recovery. Phase three is often a time of trial and error, of false starts, of initiatives that may fizzle and die. Let me share a few of my false starts as an example of phase three possibilities. I always carry my old-fashioned pedometer, which tracks my efforts to put on 10,000 steps a day. I buy them from a distributor on the West Coast who dominated the market out there for several years. And I thought maybe I could help them introduce their pedometers into Eastern Canada so everyone could carry one and everyone could be a lot healthier. But about that time, along came the high-tech Fitbit, and that was the end of that idea. Now, some listeners might be familiar with the First Tee, a golf-based youth development program sponsored by the PGA Tour and by the Masters Tournament in the U.S. There are two First Tee programs in Canada, one in Montreal and one in Vancouver. I thought, what a great idea. I can help bring the First Tee to the Toronto area where I live. There's clearly a need for positive youth development and using golf as a means of doing so just felt so right. I spent several months exploring that possibility only to be told finally that Golf Canada had decided that there was no place for another First Tee program in Canada. Another initiative come to naught. My next effort was with an American organization called Watchdogs, Dads of Great Student Watchdogs. This terrific program is offered in elementary schools throughout the U.S., and I think it has a place in Canada, too. The program provides an increased male role model presence in elementary school environments. It helps to enhance security on school grounds, and it discourages bullying. Great idea, I thought, but they were growing rapidly in the U.S., and despite my best efforts at persuasion, they weren't prepared to divert the resources necessary to support implementing the program in Canada. Now, the point I'm making here is that I've experienced lots of trial and error, but I'm certainly not alone in this. I know from my interviews and research that many others have explored a variety of options, and you probably have as well. But when you get to phase three, and if you're not already doing so, I'd encourage you to concentrate your attention on experiments or initiatives that are based on your own experiences, interests, and strengths. They seem to have the greatest likelihood of being successful. Now, you'll know you're in phase three when you begin to ask yourself, how can I contribute to initiatives that will help me achieve a sense of purpose and meaning? You actively explore options that will allow you to contribute and to feel good about it. You'll identify a specific venture and commit to it, but you have to be prepared to go back to the drawing board if the initiative of choice doesn't work out. Now, not everyone breaks through and reaches phase four. I estimate that it's only about half of retirees who get there, but those who do are some of the happiest people I have ever known. They have a real sense of meaning and satisfaction in their lives, they're the ones who have shaken off the losses associated with Phase 2, who have endured the trials and errors of Phase 3, and have found a new interest or interests, a project, a new passion, and they're excited about squeezing all the juice they can out of this exciting new phase of their lives. 
Now, we don't get to phase four without some serious self-examination and introspection. And unfortunately, not enough of us give sufficient thought to the important question of what we want to become. Phase four is the phase that offers the greatest opportunities for rediscovery and repurposing. And as we enter this phase, it's important to ask ourselves the question, what is my purpose? What do I want to become in this phase of my life? The question must be asked and answered. And I believe that those who take the time to answer it and to answer it honestly are the most likely to be successful in breaking through to phase four. The answer you give yourself to those questions will have a significant bearing on your future activities. My experience is that it almost always involves some form of service to others. Providing value through service, perhaps in a volunteer role, perhaps in creating a nonprofit, perhaps in offering service for a fee, whatever it might be, it's more about providing service to others than gratifying ourselves. Harvard Business School conducted an extensive study of its graduates in retirement and discovered that the unhappiest retirees of all had, quote, not gone on to do anything productive beyond pleasing themselves. Pleasing oneself is phase one behavior, not phase four behavior. And here's one of the really exciting aspects of phase four. Once we've successfully identified what activity or activities have real meaning and provide a real sense of satisfaction and purpose for us, something magical happens. Do you remember the five inevitable losses we discussed in phase two? There was loss of structure, identity, relationships, purpose, and power. Well, in phase four, all of these losses are reversed. You can create a new self-directed structure for your life based not on your former calling, but on your new passion. A new personal identity can be formed based not on how many budget dollars you allocated or how many staff you supervised or what academic degrees you've earned, but on your new passion. New relationships and heartfelt connections are created, and we can achieve a revived sense of purpose based on a personal vision to make good things happen. And finally, while there may not be a sense of power involved in your new mission, there's very likely to be a real sense of empowerment as you commit yourself to the service of others. It's a wonderful thing to witness, and anyone can do it. So, those are the four phases of retirement. If you'd like to get more detail about them, you can order the book on Amazon.ca or on my website, thefourphases.com, and I hope you'll do so. Now, following the success of the four phases, people have been asking, so what's next? Well, what's next was a decision to identify and interview in depth as many phase four retirees as I could. I asked others to identify them for me, Many were referred to me, and through my previous interviews, I had identified many who were clearly Phase 4 retirees. That is, people who are engaged and involved, enthusiastic, happy and productive in their various activities and commitments. And I asked them to share their stories and offer their advice to fellow retiring boomers. 
The result of these interviews is a follow-up publication, this one entitled The Ten Lessons. It's subtitled How You Too Can Squeeze All the Juice Out of Retirement. And if you'd like to get more detail about it, you can order the book on Amazon.ca or on the website the10lessons.com, and I hope you'll do so. If the four phases represent the theory on the topic, the 10 lessons represents the application or the how-to. So, going forward, most of our podcasts will be devoted to conversations with Phase 4 retirees, people whose compelling stories and experiences simply wouldn't fit in the book and which are much better suited to the longer, more in-depth podcast format. I hope you'll join me as we launch our podcast series entitled Squeezing All the Juice Out of Retirement. So long for now. Thanks for listening.